Church, I've got, a, I've got a word that I feel the Lord has placed on my heart for us this morning, and it's continuing the spiritual skills uh, series that Pastor George started for us two weeks ago. Um, we live streamed from our lead pastor uh, as he talked us through the series on uh, developing, acquiring, and cultivating skills uh, that every believer should know. That's been sort of the backdrop of this series. It's been about developing uh, our spiritual senses in a way, to be led by the Spirit in all we do. And the quick recap is the first week we spoke about the spiritual skill of wisdom, how that helps us make uh, godly decisions. And last week we spoke about the skill of being firm-footed. The, the title of Pastor George's message was Don't Be Lame last week. Uh, you know, he's always got those titles, right, that get you thinking. Uh, this week... I'm going to be building on that conversation, and Pastor George is sharing, is sharing in North End on the same topic, different, different perspective, and I want to talk to you about the spiritual skill of self-denial. <sighs> Lloyd, I didn't come to church to hear about self-denial. Please, just say, Jesus loves me. Talk about the rainbows and the fairies, please, in creation, but I think this is a, this is a very, very uh, practical and powerful skill that I think we all need to sharpen and develop in our spiritual journeys, and for a couple of reasons which we're going to have a look at just now. And there's a, there's a powerful story in 2 Samuel chapter 24, which we're going to, which we're going to read in, in just a moment, that will show us just how deep and profound this particular skill is, and how important it is for us to sharpen it. Because more than most spiritual skills, this, this one of self-denial plays a crucial, crucial role when it comes to developing a depth of character in our spiritual journeys. That's really, really important. And this skill can be measured. There's evidence of its working in our lives. And that's, that's a very, very important thing. You know, how many of us know that you can get talented people on one hand and then people with good character on the other hand? Which one is more irreplaceable? The character, right? Plenty of talented people around. Got all the, you know, ticks in all the right boxes, but character just lagging a little bit, not quite at the same level as the quality of the gift. Um, I did a sermon a little while ago on Samson. And he was a great example, right, of someone that had all the supernatural talents and abilities you could think of to accomplish some amazing things, yet fell short of his potential because he didn't develop the skill of self-denial, right? We know what Samson's weakness was. He couldn't say no to uh, certain things. I'll let you go catch up on the message um, as, a, as a reminder. Yet, obviously, despite that, the redemptive story is God was still able to use him. But the idea is that we want to we live in such a way that we experience the fullness of the plan that God has for us. We don't want to fall short because of this skill of self-denial not going sharpened in our life. We need to make sure that our character keeps pace with the talent and the gift and the ability that we have. And also, you know, like I said just now, this, this skill can be measured. There's evidence of it working in your life. And you can even track your progress when it comes to how you're doing in this spiritual skill of self-denial. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes it looks like this. Have you, have you ever met someone that just used to use really bad language? Like really bad language, like unnecessary levels of swearing. You know that swearing that doesn't even make sense. It's just... It just ruins language in general because of, of, how, of how crazy it actually is. And then, you know, one day you meet them just and you, you're expecting the same, you know, ear-shattering language and suddenly they're not swearing. And you're like, oh, what's up with this person? Why are they, what's different about them? What happened? You know, or maybe, 
maybe you met someone that was really stingy. You know, we've all got that friend that counts the rands and cents, you know. Okay, I bought you a cup of coffee, but we went in your car. Then I got the water, so we'll minus that from the petrol, so I owe you 14 rand 50. Anyone have a friend like that? If you don't know someone like that, chances are, it's you. No, I'm joking. Uh, <clears throat> but we all, you know, you're all, you like know this really stingy person, and then suddenly they're like, hey, no, cool, coffee's on me. Okay. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll go in my car, it's fine. No, don't worry about the petrol, I'll sort it out. And you're like, what is, the, what is the reason for this sudden change? Well, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, bringing them from salvation when you get saved, through the sanctification, which is being like Christ journey, when they're practicing the skill of self-denial. That's what it is. And those are you know, good examples of how this kind of thing can get measured. Not perfect, you know, might still drop a bad word in every now and then, you know, it might still be a little bit stingy, but working towards something. Measurable progress. Trackable progress. Does that, does that, does that make sense? And speaking of which, um, we're going to discover through this Bible story that we're going to read just now that the easiest way, I guess, to identify someone is practicing the skill, the best way that it's evidenced in someone's life is in how they worship. In how they worship. Not how loudly they sing. Uh, that's part of it, but not all of it but how they view and approach a, a worship-centered life. That's the measure. That's Romans 12 too. Paul writes and he says, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies, the, the whole of you, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That's often the best way how the skill of self-denial is evidence in someone's life. And that's what we're after this morning. Now, you know, you might be thinking this morning, why is, this, um, why is this relevant to me when it comes to spiritual matters? You know, I feel quite fine keeping God and the whole faith thing at a distance, you know, where it's comfortable, um, or perhaps even keeping him out of sight altogether, you know, just sort of at earshot length of who God is and the thing about church. Well, here's the thing about self-denial. We, we practice self-denial for worldly rewards all the time. This is not a new thing. This is not a, you know, a, a, a select thing. This is, the, we, we learn the skill of denying ourselves for things that produce a worldly or temporary result often. You know, you get invited to a friend's house for coffee. It's 10 o'clock in the morning and they pull out the cheesecake. And what do you say? Thanks. <laughs> for some of us, we're like, we don't have an issue with self-denial at all. We just don't deny ourselves anything. We just say yes. The heart wants what the heart wants, right? No, we say no. Why? Because I'm on an eating plan. You know, I, I'm, I've got this workout thing now. I'm doing the lean girl exercise plan. I'm doing the 21-day shred, whatever, whatever. I can't have the cheesecake. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, you know? Or you have a deadline coming up for work, big assignment or a big project that's on the go, and you get invited away for a weekend with your friends or a bra or something, and you say, you know what, sorry, guys, I... I really would love to, but I've, I've, I've got this deadline. And so you deny yourself something to, to say yes, to sacrifice for something else, right? Another example is maybe, like we chatted about just now, there's an opportunity to come along, or that comes along, to be a blessing to someone. Saturday morning, let's go and fix up a school or do something. And you go, good golfing weather, good fishing weather, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice. I'm going to deny myself that opportunity for the benefit of someone else. It's an example of selflessness, right? 
So we, we, we are aware that we partake in and, and, and do a lot of these actions of self-denial for worldly things all the time. But here's the question that I want to lean into this morning and that I want to ask us is, why do we seem happy to practice self-denial and deny ourselves things on a worldly level that produce temporary results, yet find it difficult or hard sometimes to deny ourselves on a spiritual level that will produce eternal results? That's the, that's the sphere that we're living in, right? This, this is an eternal game, not just 80 minutes on a Saturday, which we won't speak about. But this is, this, is, this is an eternal thing, church, that we're dealing with. I mean, why would scriptures like Matthew 6 say the following? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's an eternal... There's an eternal side to the equation that we're busy with here. It's not just an a earthly thing. And I think it's good every now and then just to come back and remind ourselves of the correct balancing of that equation, right? Being willing to sacrifice for now and bearing in mind the power of sacrificing for later in eternal things. And I guess this is where, on this concept of self-denial, the worldly perspective and the biblical perspective collide in some way. You know, what does the world say? It's all about discovering yourself, right? It's all about being the best you that you can be. Ever heard that phrase? You know, this is the, the, the journey to the real you, giving yourself the airtime. It's all about me, me, me. And, and, you know, while there's some merit in that process, I guess, spiritual life, worldly, biblical, I'm sorry, biblical life is saying, become like the image of Christ who is formed in you. Not, not just you, because intrinsically becoming more like ourselves means becoming less like Christ. <laughs> Why does John the Baptist say in John 3.30, I must decrease, he must increase. Th- this, is, this, is not, this is not a journey into self-discovery. No, no, no. Self-denial is a journey into Christ discovery in you. That's the process. That's the that's the dying to yourself so that you can become more like Christ conversation that we're busy with at the moment. This, this puts scriptures like Galatians 2.20 into perspective, doesn't it? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. <laughs> this, this, is, this has got nothing to do with me here, actually. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you guys see the importance of that? So when, we, when we're talking about this, this conversation of, of, of self-denial, it's not about picking up the best you. It's about discovering the Christ-like you that God is forming on the inside. And it's about denying yourself to take up that, that perspective, that person, that creation that heaven has in mind for you. And so for this morning, we're going we're gonna to pick up on a key character from last week's series, David. Um, and we're going to look from this passage in 2 Samuel at, at just how impactful this skill of self-denial is in terms of the depth it can take us in our character as we become Christ-like in our journeys. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? Are you with me this morning? We're going somewhere. Cool. So we're going we're gonna to read the account of David's census. It's a strange topic at first. I know, like, why would there be a census? What, and what's the issue with self-denial and the whole census thing? But this is, this is, this is what we're going to see. We, we're going to see from this passage that despite the, the, the present trouble, even despite David's mistake, having the skill of self-denial not only brought about 
this eventual redemption for the people of, of Israel, but it also revealed this depth of character and this willingness to worship that we're talking about that we're talking about that is so, so powerful. It's a it's a fairly large passage of scripture. I'm gonna read it for us, and then I'm gonna do some explaining and unpacking as we go. You guys with me? Okay, let's let's have a look here. Second Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 10. It says, The Lord's anger burnt against Israel again. Again. <laughs> Troublesome people. And he stirred up David against them, the Israelites, to say, go, count the people of Israel and Judah. He's going to go do a census. So the king said to Joab, his kind of right-hand man, the commander of his army, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the troops so I can know their number. Can everyone just repeat that phrase after me? I can. I can. Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times more than they are while my, while my Lord the king looks on. But why does my Lord the king want to do this? Why do you want to do this? So he's facing some opposition from his right-hand man, right? Yet the king's order, David's order, prevailed over Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army left the king's presence to register the troops of Israel. They go out and they do this whole census, right? Uh, verse 5, they cross the Jordan, they go through all these regions. Verse 6, I'm not going to read all of that. Uh, they, verse 7, they went to the fortress. So they go through this whole, this whole place, right? Carry on, verse 8. When they had gone through the whole land, they returned to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It's a long time to go and count people, right? It's an it's a arduous task. Joab uh, gave the king the total of the registration of the troops. There were 800,000 valiant armed men from Israel and 500,000 men from Judah. This is where it gets interesting. David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. It takes a weird turn there. It's like, why is he kind of repenting almost from this census that he did? What was the issue with the census? Why was it, you know, such a big deal to God? Did God make him do it? There's that phrase in the beginning there. And, and how does this tie into, the, into this conversation of self-denial? Well, there are three areas, three outcomes where we can practice self-denial as taken from this story that might resonate with you or remind you or, or clarify things for you to ensure that we move forward with, with, with depth of character in our worship unto God. And, and, and this is the first one. Developing the skill of self-denial helps you reject self-seeking and embrace serving. That's point number one. This passage, right, that we've just read, starts out by saying that the Lord was angry at Israel again. Remember, I, I referenced that phrase. If you do a study of the Israelites in the Old Testament, right, it's, it's not hard to, to see why God was angry with them again. I mean, these guys, as a representation of all of us, were prone to wondering, doing their own thing, you know, going their own way. And they had, they had messed up a lot on this journey. And so, you know, it shouldn't come as a, as a surprise why God was angry with this uncooperative people. So more than likely in this case, they got relaxed, right? They'd just come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. I mean, if I see the Red Sea part in front of me and God take me from captivity in Egypt into the promised land, like you would think you would be grateful and that would be good. Like your faith would be good for like, you know, 500 years after that. But these guys have probably got complacent. They've probably got relaxed. 
They're chilling in the promised land now. All's good. It's up to me, David, David, you know, taking his kingship for granted. And they've probably, you know, as a result, given themselves over again to stupid things. So the Lord's like, why, why have you done this? Why have you done, why have you done this? Why have you forgotten who brought you out of Egypt? And you see, this is what happens. This is what happens when we substitute God's plan and direction for our lives. We don't get to the desired outcome that he has in mind. And so we see that by seeking after and developing the skill of self-denial, we prevent ourselves from falling into the self-seeking behavior. That's why it is so important. It helps you cultivate the skill of serving. I wonder where the children of Israel would have been if they had just followed God's command to serve him. I wonder how different their story would have looked. How many times has that phrase, serve me, right? Serve the Lord thy God. It's repeated so many times in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 28. I mean, now if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all his commands I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. He lists blessings. Deuteronomy 28, 15 but if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all his commands, in other words, if you don't serve him, if you serve yourself, if you don't deny yourself, right, and serve God, all these curses will come and overtake you. And he lists them. It's like he's giving them the answer to the, <laughs> to the question. Why do you mess up, children of Israel? It's so simple. It's so, so simple. Deny yourself the selfish ways and pick up serving and watch the redemptive plan of God for your life come to pass. You know, why, would, why, would, why, why would they do something else? But you know, the, Lord is, the Lord is merciful. He, he really is merciful. And, and, and what is interesting to note on this point, I want to just show you very, very quickly the extent of God's sovereignty and mercy, even over our mistakes. You know, because that verse, if we can go back there, production to, to that second Samuel passage, it says that the Lord stirred up David against the children of Israel. There we go. The, Lord, the Lord's anger burnt against Israel and he stirred up David against them. Just if we think of that for a moment, it seems like a bit of a strange situation, right? Like how can God stir someone up to do something wrong? Seems a bit weird. Like why would, it says there, he stirred up David against them. It's like God is almost working in David to bring something wrong. Check out the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 21. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people. You want to know what the bottom line of that story is? You want to know what the, what the, how, the, how that apparent contradiction gets resolved? Satan can only color in the lines that are drawn on the page by the Almighty. God is sovereign even over the works of the devil. That's the power of this verse. He can even use the enemy's attacks on his people to bring about his divine plan and purpose. The scripture is very clear. God doesn't tempt anyone, nor, nor does evil originate in him. Rather, we are led astray. David, as we know, he's messed up a few times up until this point, right? David has this own selfish desire and God says, well, I'm not going to stand in your way. Go for it. I'm not the one to force you. And we, as, as a representation also, we led aside by our own mistakes and the power of this verse, of this piece of scripture says that God is sovereign even over that. So please, church, never feel like you've messed up too badly to be discounted from God's plan for your life. He worked in David, he can work in your life too. And there's lots of scriptures that, that paint this picture. So let's seek 
the skill of self-denial, as we step into serving and not self-seeking. That's how we practice wisdom in our spiritual journeys. Can you say amen to that? Secondly, this morning, let's have a look at how developing the skill of self-denial helps you move away from selfishness to embrace sowing. From selfishness to sowing. So in reading up and researching on this, this passage of Scripture, I was confronted with this question. Why was the sense such a big deal? Like, what was the sin about David's senses? You know, why, what was the major thing that, that caused this, this, this punishment? Um, you know, and sure, God worked about this, this divine plan to bring about redemption despite his mistake, but, but what was wrong with this census? I mean, wasn't there a census done in Exodus 30 at the Lord's instruction? And that's exactly the point. Very, very simply, that was the point. You see, in those times, it was up to God to command a census. And you know what the reason for that is? A man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. So David goes, let's do a census of all Israel. What's the implication? Israel belongs to me. And God goes, no, no, no. <laughs> Israel does not belong to you. Israel belongs to me. You see the heart there? Denying yourself Denying yourself is David's recognition, which is completely worthwhile. I mean, he was the greatest commander of the armies, right? Denying yourself that recognition and stepping into sowing, that's where the power, the power of this lies. You know, David was trusting in his army, in the size of his army, instead of trusting in the Lord. That was the point. That was why the census was such a bad idea. And that's what David realized when he had done this count and he goes, oh my word, I've missed it. I've made this about me. I've been selfish with what I've achieved and what I've acquired when the Lord is calling me to step into sowing. How many of us know that we also count things that we own at times to make ourselves look good, right? <laughs> oh, harsh one there. Lloyd, step back. I'm just reading the scriptures. But it's true, right? The principle is that we sometimes fall into this temptation to go, look at what I've achieved. Look at what I've acquired. Let's count Go and tell me, commander of my army, how big the army is. And God goes, that actually belongs to me. All of you belongs to me. This is the, this is the correct census that was done. This is the, this is the godly one that happened in, in, in Exodus 30 uh, verses 11. This is, a, this is the correct way of doing it, right? The Lord spoke to Moses. When you take a census of the Israelites to register them, each of the men must pay a ransom for his life to the Lord as they are registered. Note the little difference here, right? Then no plague will come on them as they are registered. Everyone who is registered must pay half a shekel. It's called the temple tax. According to the sanctuary shekel 20, I'm not going to try and pronounce that word. Uh, this half shekel is a contribution to the Lord. Each man who is registered, 20 years old or more, must give this contribution to the Lord. The wealthy may not give more and the poor may not give less than half a shekel when giving the contribution to the Lord to atone for their lives. Do you know the little uh, attachment there? There was to be an atoning for the count that was taken. Each person would have to give a contribution to the Lord when they were counted. So uh, David, about that, uh, about that ransom, about that atoning, <laughs> not in his senses. You see, and this is the, this is the thing, is we, we need the skill of self-denial to go, Lord, I'm just a steward. 
I don't own this. I'm just, I'm just a steward. This is yours. Everything is yours. And it's funny that the very thing that the godly version of the census prevented, the plague, right, through that atoning, was the very thing that happened to the children of Israel when they forgot to receive the atoning work. The very thing that, the, that God's plan was designed to keep us away from was the very thing we experienced when we went about it our own way. It's incredible. It really is incredible. David's version of the census brought about a plague because there was no, because it wasn't, it wasn't done God's way. And, you know, now I think it's, I think it's important just to, just to mention before we close with uh, point three this morning, church, that this is not saying that we live a legalistic version of Christianity, right? This is not saying that if we do this, God does that. And if we don't do this, God does that. Not at all. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for us. And that's the whole of the New Testament. He paid the price for us. We could never afford. But the principle is clear. Selfishness does not produce the best version of ourselves that sowing can. That's the principle. That's the principle. We live better quality spiritual lives when we deny ourselves selfishness and we step into Sowing. Can you say amen to that this morning? And the last point I wanted to mention on this, on this passage in, 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 in terms of how we develop the skill and why it's so important is that developing the skill of self-denial helps you ignore self-preservation and it helps you step into showing. A lot of S's this morning, but I felt like carrying on for the sake of alliteration. You know, it's a crucial part of our faith, isn't it? When we go from just proclaiming our belief in God, declaring things with our words, to showing it with our actions that we follow after Jesus. Big transition moment there, big shift that happens in our faith. And I'm sure we can all probably know someone or we can all probably identify someone who, about whom we have said to ourselves, they talk a good game when it comes to Christianity, but their actions don't exactly line up, right? Anyone, anyone know someone like that? If you don't, again, chances are, it could be you. No, I'm joking. I'm very facetious this morning. But, but, this, but this, this transition moment in our faith is, is important when we go from word to action. When our confession is observable by some kind of ap- action. And this, this skill of self-preservation is the hurdle that, that we need to actually overcome to, to step into showing. And what I, like what I said just now, it's evidenced in worship. You know, worship means that we abandon what's easy and take up what's right. It's easy just to sit you know, hands in pockets. It's, it's harder, but it's right to raise them up in worship and say, Lord, this is, my, this is my confession made evident in you. And if we come back to the story of David for, for just a moment, this is where the story takes a little bit of a redemptive and powerful turn for David. And this is where the skill of self-denial is best observed in worship. The story carries on and says this in 2 Samuel 24. When David got up in the morning... The word of the Lord came to the prophet, David seer. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. He's just done the census, right? I'm offering you three choices. This is God talking to David. Choose one of them and I will do it for you. Gad went to David, told him the choices and asked him, do you want three years of famine to come on your land? To flee from your foes three months while they pursue you? Or to have a plague in your land three days? God gives David three options of punishment. You know, I mean, how merciful is he? And I'm sure in some parenting approaches, we also, do you want a hiding now? Do you want a hiding in five minutes when dad gets home? Or do you want, 
Now consider carefully what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. And David replies with this remarkable statement. He says, I have great anxiety. Please, let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great. But don't let me fall into human hands. That's a remarkable statement. It really is an incredible moment. This David realizes, look, I would rather fall into the Lord's hands than into the hands of men. And I mean, very practically speaking, if he had to choose the option of the, of the famine, right, this, this lack of food, he would have had to go to other nations and say, please help us. If he chose the war, well, he would be dependent on how badly his enemies wanted to fight him. And so David chooses this third option, this three days of plague, three days, three days of something bad happening. Pause for a moment. This is a picture of salvation, church. You know, we messed up. Sin caused the plague of death that resulted in the Son of God dying on, on our behalf. But three days later, three days later, there was a resurrection and the power of sin and death was broken. Jesus set us free from that curse and placed us into a new promised land in him. You see how the Old Testament is such a beautiful picture of, of the new. But, but this, is, this is where this, this power of worship comes in. David, as we know, chooses the final option. He says, you know what? Send the plague. Three days of plague, horrible outcome. 70,000 Israelites die that during, during those three days. Horrible. Picture that, picture that scene. David has this choice. He's messed up. God's been merciful and he's got a few options now. He's got a few options. This is, this is what lies before him. He has to make this thing right. He has to correct this mistake and this is the wonder of worship. Look how powerful these words are. And you probably heard this phrase before. It might make a little bit more sense in terms of the clarity or, or the context of this message. Gad, in 2 Samuel uh, 24, 18, came to David that day and said, Go, get up, set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of, someone say that word, Arauna. Is that, are we going to go with Arauna? Arauna the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to Gad's command, just as the Lord had commanded. This guy looked down and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So he went out. He paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. He said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? David replied, to bar the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord. So the plague on the people may be halted. Aruna said to David, my Lord the king, take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering and threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood, your majesty. Aruna gives everything here to the king. Then he said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Check at David's reply. Look at the power of worship in this context. The king answered Aruna, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. There's the sacrifices, easy. Just like cut your losses, David. Like it's, just take the sacrifice. It's there. He's giving it to you for free. And he goes, no, 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 no. Despite this, in the face of that, denying myself, self-preservation, I will not offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. He built an altar and they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, the peace offering, Right? Then the Lord was receptive to, to, uh, to pray for the land and the plague on Israel ended. Such a powerful passage of scripture, friends. And you see that in the context of sharpening the skill to take up this God-ordained life, this purpose that we have, it really does come, come down to the value 
that we place on the one that we are sacrificing for. David's like, Lord, I'm not going to offer you something that doesn't cost me anything. I value you so much that I'm not prepared to take the easy route. I want to do what's right. And the skill of denying ourselves, the self-preservation that we overcome and step into sharing, that's how it's evidenced. It's evidenced in a worship, in a, in a lifestyle of worship. Because, friends, Jesus is worth any sacrifice that we could pay. <laughs> he really is worth it. And, you know, he actually made the first move. Jesus made the first move in showing us how to be excellent at self-denial and paying a price for someone else. You and me. You and me. Last scripture before we close this morning, Philippians 2. Here it is. The New Testament equivalent, just in case we thought it was an Old Testament idea. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Watch the levels of humility here. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. He was the model of what self-denial looks like, and he paid the price for you and me. I guess we could say that our response when it comes to sharpening the skill of self-denial is to, is to do the same for him. Lord, may, my, may the evidence of how I'm taking up my cross and following you be seen in how I worship you because you're worth it. You're absolutely worth it and he has done the same for us. Could you say amen to that this morning, church? We're going to wrap up in a word of prayer. Would you mind standing with me this morning as we do that? I am just aware of the time and I thank you for a couple extra minutes this morning, but um, I want to just leave quickly as we wrap up in prayer. And I hope I've given us something to think about. Perhaps from some of those scriptures, maybe something stood out in terms of how we can step into self-denial, not in a weird way and, you know, something that it'll make us look weird or feel weird, but in a way that makes us become more like Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. And we can see from these scriptures how important it is to, to sharpen the skill. We want to move from selfishness to serving. We want to move from self-preservation into sharing and showing our faith and self-seeking into sowing. We want to sow into the kingdom. And so, Father, this morning as we think about your word and honor you for the power of the lessons that we can learn from people like David in the Old Testament, we ask that by your spirit you would guide us. Would you lead us? Would you shape us into becoming the people that you have called us to be? Father, we ask that you would help us Sharpen this skill of self-denial, not looking to our own interests, Father, but looking also to the interests of others and modeling our lives on the sacrifice that you paid for us. Jesus, you showed us how much we mean to you, how valuable we are to you in giving us yourself. And Father, we pray that you would help us remember that model, that example, as we seek to do the same for you. Lord, would you give us opportunities, even this week, to, to be reminded of these, of these verses, of these principles, so we can practice them. Father, give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunities to sow, to do things your way, the godly way. And Father, give us opportunities to show our faith in worship by telling others about you, by raising our hands, by taking a moment and praying a prayer of thanks, whatever it looks like. Father, would you, would you give us those opportunities and by your Spirit, give us the confidence to fulfill them. 
Lord, we know when we do this, we bring out the Christ-like character that's on the inside of us. And that's who we want to become because that is the heaven version, the true version, the godly version of who we are as your people. We thank you so much that you have called us into this freedom. And so we step forward in that freedom, seeking to bring you glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Church, can we give God one more shout of praise this morning in worship and thanksgiving?